Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Good evening. Welcome to Young Adults. My name is Jared, and I am the Young Adults Pastor here at High Street, and I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. Hey, we're starting a new series uh, called Outcast, and if you haven't listened to our last series on mental health called Hope, uh, I'd encourage you to check out our YouTube channel, to check out um, some of the stuff that we have on Facebook. Um, It was one of those things that, like, I helped plan it, and I helped uh, speak in one of the three messages on it, and I was like, I learned a lot. God showed me a lot through it. I hope you'd go back and check out uh, that series on YouTube and, and Facebook, but uh, we're starting a new series tonight called Outcast. And yes, we know we spelled it with a K. Uh, Logan and I were like putting this together and we spelled it with a C, like how the dictionary would spell it. And we we're like, it just doesn't seem right spelled that way. Like we need it spelled the Andre 3000 way. Like we need it spelled the Heya style. And so that's what we did. Um, but what we're, what we're doing in the Outcast series is like uh, Logan and I and Coco, we're, we're talking about like some of the ways that we see uh, God move and work in the Bible. And, and you don't see God choosing like the cream of the crop every time. You don't see God choosing the people with all the abilities uh, and the, the smooth talkers, the people that, man, you look at and you go, he is the best leader. He's got a barrel chest and he can just speak to them and just great things happen. He, just, he sometimes chooses people that you'd look at and go, Ah, I don't, I don't know if that would be my first or second or even fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth choice. Those are some of the people that God chooses. Um, it, it's easy right now to like get into a little bit of a comparison trap because um, you look at like, look at the Bible, look at the people who got used and you're like, well, Moses has it all figured out. Noah had it all figured out. Abraham had it all figured out. David had it all figured out. Peter, Paul, all those guys had it all figured out. And like right now with social media, it's easy to hop on and like, I don't follow many like influencers, but just a handful that I think are funny. Um, And it's easy to get on and be like, man, they just live a life. Like they all live in LA. They all hang out by the pool all the time. They're all good looking people. And then I look at like what my normal like Friday and Saturday look like. And it's like way more lame. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um, But you look at like the cream of the crop people and then you look at yourself and you're like, well, I... I don't know that I quite measure up um, the same way because you know what you go through. You know your stuff. Um, Tonight, we're going to be in Judges 6. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to be on the screens. Um, But there's also a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Or if you check out the High Street app, all of our notes and all the verses are in there. Um, But we're talking today about a guy named Gideon. That If you don't know anything about Gideon, that's okay. But what you need to know about Gideon is that he was a coward. Like the dude dealt with fear like crazy. So we're going to be talking a lot about fear tonight. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, talking about courage some. Um, I I looked up uh, common phobias. Uh, You guys know what phobias are, like things that people are afraid of. And I was like, I don't think I have any of these phobias. I I looked up an A to Z list and here are the first eight. Um, Acluophobia is fear of darkness, which like what person doesn't mildly have that? Um, Acrophobia, fear of heights, which I feel like there should be a healthy amount of if you guys aren't those people that you're a little weird. Aerophobia, which I know someone who has that. I'll let you figure that out. Um, Algophobia, it's the fear of pain. I think we should all have that in a healthy way, okay? If you don't have that, there's something clearly wrong. Um, Agoraphobia is the fear of open spaces or crowds. So if you have that and you're here, like, kudos to you. You've done something. Like, you came over agoraphobia. Um, acme, acmephobia. This is, you guys just get me trying to pronounce words. This is free. Um, 
Acmeophobia is the fear of needles or pointed objects, which again, you need a healthy fear of some of these things. So like, some phobias are healthy. Um, amaxophobia, fear of riding in a car, okay. Um, androphobia is the fear of men. I don't know if that's just men or all people. We'll let, let it lie there. And I started thinking about this and I was like, I don't think I have any like completely irrational fears. And I mentioned something to Tyler and she was like, well, what about snakes? And I was like, well, hold on. I feel like I have some reasons. Um, no, I've never been bit by a snake. Um, but if you read Genesis, Satan came into the world through one animal, serpent, okay? So I would argue that there's some theological reasoning that we, be, we should be afraid of snakes. Um, now, we live in Missouri. There's not a, an, an abundance of snakes, um, but for some reason, I get a lot of garter snakes in my yard. I don't know if this is God just keeping me humbled, um, but we've lived in two different houses here in Springfield, and every time we've moved into a house, like, there's some corner of the yard that the, the former owner, or sometimes me, will get lazy and just put a bunch of brush in that corner of the yard, and I'll get, like, a, a full head of steam, and I'll be like, all right, it's time for me to clear this out, and at some point, out comes a little garter snake. And I know what you're thinking. Like, I've had people say, hey, garter snakes are good. They keep away little, I don't know if they keep away rodents or not. Some do. The ones that eat mice, that, they're too big. They need to be put down. Um, but they're like, hey, little garter snakes, like, they, they, keep, they keep, like, the insect population. And I'm like, they might, but I don't care. Um, even it, it happened um, Saturday. Uh, Garrett Props was at my house. He's a, a, a youth that goes to High Street here. Um, and he was helping me clear out some brush. And uh, we're clearing out the brush pile. And sure enough, bottom of the, of the brush pile, you just see this thing. And I'm like, Garrett, it ha there's one here. We made it almost to the bottom. And there's one. And I like cleared it out. And I was with Garrett. Garrett's like this six foot two, really big guy that's 17. So I was like, I'm wearing gloves. I can handle it. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bite the bullet, and I'm gonna pick up this snake. I hate holding snakes. There's not one that's like, oh, it won't bite me. I don't care if it'll bite me. It's, it could be poisonous. I don't know, okay? You really can't know. Um, so I was like, I'm gonna pick it up, and I get to like right here, okay? I'm like three feet from touching the thing, and the, the, it's seriously 12 inches long, tops. <laughs> Little guy sneaking around, and he makes this face and comes at me, like, I'm not kidding. The dude came at me with everything he had, and I was like, Garrett, I'm getting, the, I'm getting the shovel, man. Like, I gave him a chance. I was gonna do him a favor and throw him in the neighbor's yard, but, but I'm not doing it. So I got a shovel, cut the thing in half, and I smote the demon, cut him in half, and hey! Satan came in on one thing, I'll, I'll keep saying it, serpent. Buried it in my backyard, and I always leave a little bit of the tail out so other snakes will see and be like, this is not a place for us. Um, and Tyler still gets a kick. Like, there, there was a time this last summer, mowing the lawn, and I'm, I'm not kidding, we have like one of those water meters that like it's a little um, metal disc that sits in the middle of your yard. You pull it out and check the, the water levels. Um, there were two snakes sitting on top of it, and here I am mowing the lawn, listening to my podcasts, and you would have thought I got struck by lightning. I ran faster than I've ever run. Like you could have checked my 40 time. It had to have been incredible. But like to see it from Tyler, I'm just like happily mowing the lawn and then I'm jump scaring away. And then I come back with a shovel and I'm not kidding. The scariest thing is like, I come back and there were two snakes here and now they're gone. Like. I can't put the house on the market fast enough, okay? Like, we just move. I can't find these two snakes. I'm not, I don't want to live at a place where there's snakes, okay? Um, 
But we have those fears, like everybody probably has some kind of fear that you should argue some will be healthy. If you don't live with any fear, there's probably something else going on. Um, and, and we joke about some of the things that scare us, but I think there, there's another end of a spectrum of fear that, that we can kind of bite into. Um, who, who here hasn't made a decision based out of fear? Who here hasn't lost some sleep because of fear? You're, you're afraid that there's not enough money you're afraid of a certain relationship going north or south. You're afraid your boss doesn't like you. Um, you lose sleep. You, you have some fear over a budding relationship that you think could be more than just a friendship. Maybe you're in a relationship and you have some fear of cutting it off. Maybe you have some fear of failure, that if you ever bite off anything bigger than what's in your wheelhouse, that... I'll fail and then I'll be seen as something much, much worse. That we all deal with some kind of fear in some level. That the people around us may not accept us. That we're going to fail. That we're not going to be enough. That we're not going to have enough money. That we're not going to have whatever it takes, whatever our value system is, that we're not going to reach it. That we all live with some amount of fear. So my question is, what do we do with fear? Do we just try to kind of bow up our chest and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to be better. I'm going to get over this fear. I'm going to be better than this fear. I'm going to be bigger than this fear. How does God view people that live with fear? What we're going to read about in a minute is a guy named Gideon who lived with a ton of fear. And we're going to look at some words that God used towards him. What he had to say towards someone that lived with fear. So I hope if you're here and you... You, you deal with any kind of fear, I hope that you would check in. I hope that you would laser in a little bit and say, this is for me. I need to hear this. So we're in Judges 6. The story of Judges is uh, God has led the Israelite people. He kind of chose this people as his own so he would, could show his love and his mercy and his grace towards the people and show them uh, how much he loved them. And Moses led them. If you know Moses, he parted the Red Sea. He led them out of Egypt. Uh, but then he made some mistakes and God wouldn't let him enter the, the promised land that he promised. So for 40 years, they wandered the desert. And then Joshua took over and they entered the promised land. And uh, Judges happens right after Joshua dies. So what happens is God kind of shows some people, hey, I'm going to put you in power at the right time. Sometimes it's political, sometimes it's military, sometimes it's a little mix of both to help lead people because they were kind of in this cycle where they were obeying God, things were going really well, and then they would kind of get comfortable and they would kind of see what the people near them were living like and they're like, man, that's not too bad. They're kind of doing whatever they want and it seems like they're pretty happy. So we're just going to kind of maybe grab a couple of things that they do and add it to our religion, add it to what God says to do, and what you start to see is that they start not paying attention to God anymore. They start not listening to God, and from obeying, they go to disobeying, and then God will sometimes let another nation go in and overpower them, and then they cry out to God, God, help save us, and God sends them a judge. There's a book of judges of people going in to help, on behalf of God, save so what we're getting ready to read about is a guy named Gideon that God chose as a judge, that he said, hey, you're going to do my work. You're going to be the person that I've asked you to do. But it's almost a, a funny scene where we leave him off. Um, so we pick up in Judges 6, cha uh, chapter 6, um, verse 11. 
Um, and, G- and God just gets done saying, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not fear the other gods that you're around. Um, and you dwell in this land because you don't obey me. So this is what he says. This is the call of Gideon. This is what God choosing Gideon looks like. He says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. We'll choose if that's not the right pronunciation another day. Um, while his son Gideon, who's our guy, was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Okay, so we, we see this guy, Gideon. He's uh, threshing wheat um, in a wine press. Now, I watched several YouTube videos, so I know what threshing wheat looks like. When you, when you harvest wheat, um, it, it comes with a lot of stuff on it. It has a stalk. It has like a husk, some stuff around the seed that's actually edible and useful. So what they would do is they would kind of put it into a bag or put it into a container and kind of rough it up a little bit. And then what they would do is kind of throw that whole bag up into the air and kind of let the wind take off all the impurities, all the husk, the, st- the stalk, everything that wasn't going to be useful. And then what would fall to the ground was edible. It was the seed. It was what was useful. So they would normally go to like a hilltop or a really windy area. You didn't want to be confined and you wanted to throw it up into the air, let the wind take everything else, and then you were left with what was good. And it says that he's doing it in a wine press. Now, the importance of that is that wine presses were almost the opposite. They did them, like sometimes they said it was like a rock bed um, that they would kind of carve out that would almost be like a big bowl that you could, like a tub that you could set in, put the grapes in, press them with your feet, Grape juice would come out, wine press. But they oftentimes would do this in like a valley or like a cave. So what you find here is Gideon, who's doing something that's meant to be done on a hilltop in a cave. So here's a guy who's, the, the, the equivalent that I read about this is the dude's trying to tan indoors, okay? It's just, you can try it all day, it's just, it's not going to work very well. Um, He's afraid of the Midianites and probably a little bit of a legitimate fear. If you read the first uh, 10 verses, it talks about how if the Midianites tried to grow anything, or sorry, if the Israelite people would try to grow anything, the Midianites would go and burn their field, take what they had, and rough them up a little bit. So you're like, okay, somewhat of a legitimate concern, um, but there would be like some battles going on. So Gideon is here, there's probably some fights to be had. Um, There's probably some healthy pushback that needs to be had against these people that are oppressing them. Um, And we find him pretty much in a hole in the ground, not doing what he should have been doing. And I would even argue, and this might be reaching into a little bit, he wasn't really good at what he had his hand to. Like, he probably wasn't crushing it in the area of threshing wheat. It was probably taking him a long time, and he probably wasn't very good at it. So this is our guy. This is who God chooses. Let's look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, this is like the equivalent of like finding like a a, a shorter person and be like, hey, what's going on, big bud? Not the kindest thing to do. So like this could have been seen as a slight. This could have been seen as like a little patronizing. But I don't think that's what the angel of the Lord was doing. And, And I think it's important to identify who the angel of the Lord is. It says here that the angel of the Lord says to him, the Lord will tell you, so he talks about God in the third person, but later the angel of the Lord will tell him, the Lord says. So he talks on behalf of God. So this isn't just an angel. This is not just one of the angels. This is an angel that God has given the authority to talk on his behalf. Um, later, there's theologians that say that this is a Christophany. This is a place where it's like a picture of Jesus, 
who we see in the New Testament coming and offering deliverance, offering freedom, offering redemption, that this is a picture of who's coming and talking to Gideon. So he's not going and being patronizing. He's not going and saying, hey, Big Bubba, what you doing? He comes in and says, hey, I see you. You're strong. You mighty man of valor. And I think that's important. Why is it important? Because God doesn't necessarily see Gideon and address him based on where he is. God addresses Gideon based on where God sees him. And I think a lot of times we can live in the idea that God only sees us for our fears. God only sees us for what our current sin situation is, for what we've done wrong. Some people will view God as this big bully in the sky that just waits for you to do something wrong and goes, there it is. Now I got to pluck him up. I can, I can say whatever I want about him. He's done wrong. But that's not who God is. That God almost looks at Gideon and says, hey, I see the best in you. I have a big plan for your life that if you would have asked Gideon, hey, what do you think is going to happen? What's your big five-year, 10-year, 20-year dream? He wouldn't have said, I'm going to be a mighty man of valor. He would have said, I'm probably just going to make a meager living threshing wheat in a wine press, staying alive. But God doesn't minimize him to where he currently is. He sees him how God sees him. And that's important to remember and hang on to that. Look at verse 13. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? Man, who hasn't asked that question? If God is so good, then why is this happening? If God loves me, then why would he let someone close to me be hurt? Why, why would he let someone close to me die? That Gideon has some legitimate questions. When God comes and says something to him, he goes, hey, if you're good, why are you letting this happen? Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, did not that Lord bring us out of Egypt? I mean, he would have grown up at being a, a, a Hebrew kid growing up. He would have heard stories of what God did with generations and generations past. And he would have known, man, that Moses got to part the, the Red Sea and lead the Israelite people out of it and the plagues. He, he would have heard all these stories. He would have heard about Abraham and his faith and what God did and how he told him he was going to build a nation. And he didn't see it, but he was still faithful. He would have heard all these stories. He would have heard how Moses led the people out of Egypt. And he looked around and he only saw the oppression that his people were in. And he says, if God's so good, why don't I see it? And I think sometimes we get a little caught up in just what's right around us. I'm I'm reading through the beginning of the Bible this year and, and reading through, there are certain points where God goes through generations. Why? Because God's time span is so long. God's thread of creation to when things will end is so long that, man, I I may only get to live 65, 75, 85 years in the span of God. That's such a short amount of time. But he almost tells him, hey, I I don't see it. That I think that there are times in all of our lives where we're going to look around and we're going to go, I don't see the goodness of God. I don't get it. I mean, the thing I love about this is that Gideon was a guy who wasn't afraid to ask God big questions. I don't think that God, from what I see here, I don't see God turning down anybody that asks him too many questions. 
I don't see God that sees somebody with doubt and goes, hey God, tell me more about this. That he goes, ah, I can't handle you. I think sometimes we, uh, people that work in churches and that are around Christianity for a while, we don't know all the answers and we can shy away from those sometimes. But look at what God says next. He says, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Things aren't good. And in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, so here's where that angel is speaking from first person. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do, I, do not I send you? What's crazy about this is God doesn't sit down and go, okay, let me answer every question. He goes, go in this might of yours. Now, what he was arguing was not like, hey, you've got this innate leadership ability in you, in you that I've built in you. Now, live up to your potential. Because I think sometimes we can kind of live with that. Hey, you're a leader. Hey, you're compassionate. Hey, you're really kind. Hey, you have hospitality. And we kind of wear that badge like, oh, it's a gift that I have, so I have to do that all the time. But then what happens when you're not compassionate? What happens when you're not hospitable? What happens when you fail as a leader? Does God look at you and go, ah, man, you had that shot. You had that opportunity and you messed it up. So, all right, well, I guess I'll move on from you. No, he says, hey, go in this might of yours that he gave him. Gideon here, there's nothing in his story that said Gideon's a strong guy. There's nothing that happens with Gideon that you're like, oh, he's got it. He just has to find it within himself. We've all seen enough basketball movies where they call the last minute timeout and they're like, hey, you've got it in your chest. You just have to find it. And you, you're like, all right, I figured out. And there's like a, a, a non-athlete that like has it here, but not everywhere else. I'm like, I think I could do that if I were in the situation. But what happens when you miss the shot and not just miss the shot, but you fail miserably? You don't do what it is that even you feel like God's gifted you to do very well. Does he look at you like you're a, a damaged goods? He says, no, go and save Israel. Do this big thing that I have for you. And he doesn't, he doesn't really hone in and say, man, it's about you. You've got it, Gideon. He hones in and says, do not I send you? That what the important part is here is, whose authority he goes underneath. There's a much different conversation that when you talk to someone at a store that ah, I'm just an associate or ah, the manager told me, it's a different conversation. And this isn't just a, an associate and a manager. This is a person that's sent by God. That Gideon has this ask of him. Hey, go in my name. It's I that sends you. It's not you. You don't have to find it in your chest. You don't have to barrel up and go, oh, it's me. I can get it. It's God that sends you. That's where his power comes from. That's where his ability comes from. Look at verse 15. I feel like this is where I connect with Gideon the best. God, like, gives him every reason to go. He gives him every ability. Hey, I, you've got my power. I go with you. And look at what Gideon says to him next. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon quickly comes up with all the reasons that he shouldn't be the guy to go, right? Anybody else can do that at the drop of a hat? That you're like, hey, I need you to lead this team. Hey, listen, um, I'm actually busy that whole week. You didn't tell me when it is, but I'll be busy. Um, I cannot do that. Um, and also, I've never done that before. Also, uh, last time I was in charge of a team, I messed up, and it won't be good, and I'm a screw-up, and it's just not going to be good. Like, 
he immediately goes to, hey, listen, my family, low on the rung of the people in this tribe. So he's going, my family's never done this before. I don't come from good stock. I don't have a history of looking at my dad going, oh, okay, this is how you lead a movement of God. Man, who's not there? Who can look at things and go, what God is asking me is big and it makes me uncomfortable? And I may not know where that comes from. That you've got a, maybe a little bit of family history of failure. You got it somewhere. That you've got a family history of, man, what will they think if I show up at family reunion and go, hey, so uh, uh, you're an accountant, that's great. Um, Gideon, you still threshing wheat in the wine press? And instead, he goes, actually, um, while I was doing that, God showed up and told me I should uh, lead the Israelite people to come underneath the oppression of the Midianites. Okay, we know that's not going to be true. Like, we're your family. We've seen you at your worst. Like, we saw you as a middle schooler, and it doesn't get much worse than that. So why don't, we don't believe you. That he immediately starts telling him all the reasons that he can't. And then he says, even, and I'm the least of these. In a bad family, I'm the worst one. He's got some personal failures that he's dealing with. That, like, he has all these things that he's like, I'm afraid of, and it's... Honestly, I don't think that he's, he's showing here, hey, I've got some, some unlegitimate fears. He's probably showing God, I have some legitimate things that I'm not uh, capable of leading this charge, so what will you do with that? Probably presents a pretty formidable case that would have held up in court. You're right, Gideon's not, not the right guy. Let, let's rethink things. But look at the next verse. Look at what God says to him. What I love about this is God didn't show him, hey, you've got all the abilities. I put it in you from an early age. He didn't come in and say, hey, you've been training in this different way that nobody else is training, and it's going to prepare you for the battles that you're going to be in. Look at verse 16. Look at what he tells him. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Listen, God has called all of us to something that's difficult. God's called all of us to something that might make us uncomfortable. But the crux of our reasoning for being able to carry it out is not that you've got it right here. Why? Because God has it. That this was the God that Gideon would have known as the God who parted the Red Seas. The God who saved his people from the Egyptians. The God who created everything goes with you. Now you go and you strike as one man. And the analogy that it says is that the people of Midian will be like a weak person is what it says later. That our ability to even carry out what the Bible asks us to do in living the way that God asks us to is not done by the leadership that you have is not done by the quiet spirit that God put in you. Now, those are great things, and I think those are things that need to be grown and are, are good things. But what's more important is the God who saw you at your worst. That Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, we were in the act of messing up, and God showed up and said, hey, I love you, and I want to provide a way out. The thing that we see in verse 11 is that God shows up before Gideon even takes a step towards him. That he's at his father's land. He didn't wait for Gideon to start figuring things out. He showed up way before that. 
That God's not looking at you going, God, if he could just get it right, even one time out of 10, that all he needs is for you to fall on your face and go, God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. That's all God needs of you. That's all God asks. Why? Because he goes with you. That even when things don't look good, even when oppression is rearing its head and it feels heavy on you and you don't see the goodness of God, what we hang on to in moments of darkness and confusion and pain is that God will be with us. It says that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's not gonna see somebody that has it a little bit more together than you and go, hey, I'm actually gonna go over here with them. He's never gonna leave you. That's where our hope lies. That's the only thing that we can hang on to. That God didn't remind Gideon, hey, you've got it. You've got all the ability. You've got all the character. He said, I have it. Let me handle. Will you let me? And this idea of uh, faith is really the idea of trust. I read a story this week about how faith in God is leaning on him. That if I trust that this table will hold me, I'll lean on it. And I'll lean on it a little bit more. And the more I trust it, the more I'll lean on it. That you sat down in your chair tonight and you trusted that it would hold your weight. And the idea that we give our faith to God is the idea that we just trust him. And maybe where you're at tonight, you might just have a tiny amount of faith left. Maybe you're at a spot that the darkness is all you can see, that the oppression is all you can see, and all you can give him is a little bit of faith, a little bit of trust. Give him that. And maybe you're at a place where you don't know where else you can go. Give it to God. I love, we, we recorded... Um, Larry Keith's uh, testimony a, a couple of weeks ago, we're showing it on Easter, which if you don't have a place to go for Easter Sunday, I hope that you join us here at High Street. Um, but one of the things that he uh, shared was, I mean, he'd, he'd kind of tried in the past and he'd done some kind of little things where he'd got given little um, symbolic things to God, but then he, he said that he was just kind of at rock bottom and he said, I need to just, I didn't have anywhere else to go. Everything else I'd tried had failed. So I leaned on God with everything. And that's when he started to see his relationship with God really change because he fully trusted him. It fully changed things for him. I have three thoughts as we kind of finish up tonight. The first one is that God is our hope. That God is our hope. Um, the thing I love about this is that God addresses us a- as his father. Um, and God's kind of going to see you, if you're one of his children, um, with the love of a father. And, and he has the desire for all people to come to him. Um, I, I have two kids. I have a two-year-old named Thatcher and um, a seven-month-old named Jetson. And um, they're a ton of fun. I, I couldn't love them anymore. Um, but there are seasons, uh, and I think we're in one now, um, that my son Thatch learned this word that he loves to let you know. And it starts with N and ends with O. And he is going to let you know when he doesn't agree. And most of the time, his uh, natural stance is to let you know he doesn't agree. Okay? So like, hey, Thatch, we're going to go here and do this. No. 
And that's the nicest way he'll say it. Like, he, he's yelling at you no every chance that he gets. And you're like, that. hey, I'm going to take you to the park. Let's put your shoes on. No. You're like, okay, I, but I have, I have something good for you. Hey, you, you just got to put your shoes on to get there. No. And like, I, I feel for my wife because I feel like she wants to pull her hair out every day because she plans fun things for him and loves him so much. And all he ever answers with is no. And I know it's just a season, but think about it like if I only ever viewed my son Thatcher the way he is now with the resistance that he has in his heart now, and I viewed him, he's never going to get any better. Wouldn't that be diminishing for me as his father? That I have a hope for him, that his hope in changing and not being a destructive person in life and yelling no at everyone who means good for him is to trust his father because I have good things for him things that he, he doesn't even know what they are half the time. I just need him to come with me. That if I only ever see him as the little two and a half year old that yells no, he's never gonna experience the fullness of what I have for him. That I, ha- I have a vision for what his life is gonna look like. That he's gonna be a young man. I pray for him every night that he would love God and love people, that he would revere God's word and that he would see people come to know him. But if I viewed him as, well, he's never going to get any bigger or better, wouldn't that be sad? But our only hope in changing, our only hope in overcoming fear is with God. When we think about faith, we think about trust, and, and Thatch will, it happens in the sanctuary almost every week, he, he stands at the edge and he gets really excited and you can see he wants to jump and like he'll jump off our couches at home. Um, but like a little spot like over here on the side, he'll like look at it and he knows he can't land it very well. So he comes over and daddy, daddy, daddy. And he looks at me and he, he wants to jump. Okay, come here. And he wants me to get to where I'm just right next to him. And I'm like, bud, you don't have to trust in your jumping ability. You have to trust in the goodness of your father. I'm gonna catch you. Most of the time, I'm going to catch you. That it's not about his ability to jump. It's about my ability to be a good father. That your only hope is not in your ability to get it right. And God's going to look on you with favor. Your only hope is trusting on the goodness of God. That's all we have. We don't have anything. Why? Because you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. You might get it right nine times out of ten, but that tenth time you're going to fail and it can crush you that we have to constantly return in our failure, in our victory to the goodness of God. I trust in the goodness of God. Even when I don't see it, I trust in it. I'm gonna lean on it. I'm gonna jump. Why? Because God's word says that I can. And now we're not jumping into foolishness. We're jumping into the wisdom of what God's word has for us. A life that Jesus said wasn't just life, but life more abundant that I'd challenge you, whatever it is that you're walking through, find somewhere that the Bible talks about it and trust that God will do what he says he's gonna do and see what he does. I think about anxiety, that worry. Um, The Philippians talks about if we give him our worries, cast our anxieties onto him, he'll give us the peace that transcends all understanding. It's a trade that I don't think makes a whole lot of sense and I hope one day God doesn't realize that he's getting the brunt end of that deal. But we give God 
our worry and our anxieties and we tell him those things and he returns to us peace that we don't understand. But it's more than that. That we can give him the hope of our lives and in return he gives us life more abundant. The second thing I think we see is that um, that we can be the source of good, the source of God's love in our generation. Um, I think about the, the story of Gideon, and Gideon had an angel show up to him and say, hey, I, I have this plan for you. You're going to see your people get removed from oppression. And his response was, where have you been? How come I haven't seen God move? And God's plan was to move through Gideon. And that was an exception in the Old Testament. God didn't choose that with everyone. But in the New Testament, what we see is that when Jesus left, in John it says that when Jesus left, he told the disciples, hey, it's better that I leave you and you get the Holy Spirit that when we give our lives to God, he gives us himself. That we get God living in us, working in our lives. And I don't understand the fullness of it, but I'm growing and I hope that I'm more like God tomorrow than I am today, than I was yesterday. But he gives us a different hope. That he is tasking us. And we read so much about this in the New Testament and when Paul's writing, that he told us that he wants us to be a source of God's love to our generation. This is why young adults exist. This is why High Street exists. We talk about reaching people. We're not just trying to grow our church. If we see Springfield get radically turned towards God and High Street plays a minimal part in that, but we were faithful with what we were given, praise God. We just want to see God glorified. We want to see the city of Springfield transformed. Why? Because there's freedom found in what Christ offers. That, that's, the, that's the play of what we have here. We can get on board with what God's doing and be a source of God's love to our generation, or we can sit back and go, God, where are you? I don't see you. And lastly, God starts with us. God starts with you and God starts with me. So funny story, right after this, Gideon tells him, hey, you stay here. If, if you're really God, you stay here. I'll come back. And he does God a little test. And he really, he does this three times. He comes back and he, he kind of prepares this meal, this like kind of uh, like soup almost. And he prepares it for God. And he like has meat and he pours broth over it and he brings it back to God. And he says, God, if it's you, do something with it. And he lights it on fire. Crazy story, you can read it afterwards, but it happens. He lights it on fire. Okay, it must be God. I can trust you. And right after that, the first thing that God tells him to do, he doesn't say, hey, go find your army, start preparing them. Look at verse 25. It says, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that's with it. God tells him, go home and get rid of the idols in your house. Go home and take care of the things that you've added to following God. That more than anything, he tells him, hey, I want to see your people come out from oppression, but more than what I want to see that, I need it to start with you. I need you to be glorifying me in every piece of your being. So go home. Get rid of the things that aren't glorifying me. 
Because these things probably, he was probably a Jewish person that had just kind of grabbed some things from the culture around him and said, they're, they're not bad. So he had God and. And he was saying, hey, get rid of the and. You don't need that because I'm enough. What are you hanging on to? Like it's gonna be your savior. That God says it's not. You need to get rid of it. That if we wanna see things that God has prepared for us, that I think God has big things planned for this community, for High Street as a whole and for Springfield, if we wanna see that happen, it starts with ourselves. So in a minute, we're gonna move into a time of worship and a response. If that's you and there's something, I challenge you to bring it to the altar and to tell someone. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But James argues that, James, James says that if we confess our sins to one another, there's healing. So in a minute, we're gonna have some people up here. We're gonna let you come and pray. And I would challenge you to take a step that might be uncomfortable, but that God calls us to so that we can heal and see if God doesn't show up in your uncomfort. Will you bow your heads? Mm-hmm.